Hello, food world. It's Robert Crutchfield, your favorite foodie friend from Crutchfield Cooks, here with another episode of Crutchfield Cooks, the podcast. This week, we're going to try something new, something we like to do, try something new. We're going to look at food myths. So let's get to it. Here's me. Okay, some of the things we're going to talk about saying myth may be a little strong, but they're ideas that are not, not as accurate as we might have been led to believe different places. We're going to start out, I started out thinking about this as a one episode thing, but it looks like it's going to be at least two. And what we're going to do this time around is talk about food myths relating to diet and nutrition. In a future episode that I'm going to schedule for I don't know when yet, we're also going to talk about food myths that are more specific to actual cooking. One of the things you want to bear in mind when speaking about nutrition is there's different schools of thought involved. You have doctors, uh, many of whom actually have very little nutritional training, and you have research that is based on the medical perspective. You also have what are called Registered dietitians. Registered dietitians in most states are degreed licensed professionals who have degrees in nutrition and have passed an exam that proves they have a certain level of knowledge about nutrition. And you also have what are called nutrition coaches or nutritionists. Uh, now, anybody using a title other than registered dietitian is probably not a degree person, and they have not taken a state-administered licensing exam. Now, many nutrition coaches have taken certification exams, but those vary in quality depending on the organization that's providing the certification that they're claiming. Now, most of what I'm about to say comes from a combination of my own education and experience, which is not in nutrition specifically, but in the food world in general, it, it comes from some of the training I have seen and some of my own experience. It also comes from a certain amount of research I have done, but it's helpful for you to know that the research I have done is primarily from the medical perspective. So some of the things that I am going to say may be different than what you might hear from a nutritionist or a nutrition coach, but I still think that a lot of what I have to say is going to be of value to you. The first myth I want to talk about is the idea that if you're eating fruit, it's healthy. This is not necessarily true. One, you have an issue of a certain fruit, strawberries, or oranges, and other citrus fruits and fruits and whatever, are very high in natural sugars. So even though you're not adding sugar to them, they're not as healthy, uh, particularly for people like diabetics or people who are trying to lose weight for other medical reasons, as you would assume, because fruit is a natural product. The other thing you want to look at is that a lot of juices and a lot of fruit-based snacks 
have a lot of preservatives, a lot of added sugars. So even though they may have started out as healthy fruits, they're not as healthy as you think they are in their final form. Now, another thing people look at that isn't what we would think is the whole idea of artificial sweeteners and weight loss. People think that because you're using a artificial sweetener because instead of sugar that you're going to lose weight more easily and that's not necessarily true in fact as i record this just this week just in the last seven days the world health organization has come out with a new report where they went through a lot of the scientific evidence and were able to argue that artificial sweeteners have no real impact on weight loss and then if your weight loss in particular is your concern, that you should be looking at artificial sweeteners. What you should look be looking at is reducing the total amount of sweeteners in your diet. And so that's something that a lot of people may want to look at because artificial sweeteners also come with things like increased risk of cancer. Some of them actually come with increased risk of type 2 diabetes, which may be part of what you're trying to avoid in the beginning. In certain cases, there can be increased risk of cardiovascular disease. So artificial sweeteners are not the silver bullet you might expect. Another common misconception is that if you need to lose weight, all you need is diet and exercise. While it's true that one of the big factors in losing weight is to consume less, cons less calories than you burn, and adjusting your balance of diet and exercise can have a positive impact there. Part of the problem is that's not the whole equation. And two of the more important factors in weight loss as far as nutrition are two hormones. There's leptin resistance and insulin resistance. Leptin is a hormone that is secreted by our fat cells. And it's a hormone which is major part of the process that tells our brain to tell our body that we're not hungry anymore. What happens in too many people is that if you have too much liptin in your body because you're heavy set, the liptin bombards the liptin receptors. And what happens there is your body can't handle this massive amount of, of input so the hunger switch never turns off and you continue to think that you're hungry. Insulin is a little bit different. Insulin is secreted by your pancreas. Insulin is involved in your body's conversion of carbohydrates into sugar. So you don't properly process the food you eat if you have too little insulin for sure, but resistance is a little bit different. With insulin resistance, you have enough insulin, uh, but just like with what happens when Lipton bombards your Lipton receptors, if you have too much insulin, it still doesn't work effectively. And both those cases, that's something where you would have to consult a actual medical professional do blood tests and that sort of thing to even find out that you have one of those situations going on in your scenario. 
Something you'll also be told is to avoid all fat. Well, part of the problem with that idea is that all fat is not the same to begin with. You basically have three kinds of fat. You can have saturated fat, unsaturated fat, and you can have trans fats. Now, saturated fats and trans fats, as we've always been told, are bad. These are the fats that can cause increased cholesterol in the bloodstream and things like that. Unsaturated fats, like you might find in things like olive oil or in a lot of nuts, is actually a good fat. Good fats do things like they lubricate our, our joints. They have certain beneficial effects to immunity, to certain diseases and things. Fat, to a point, is actually required for our body to function properly. But it has to be the right fat. In fact, one of the more interesting points in this idea is that Red meat, for instance, which is the big diet bugaboo for a lot of people, red meat actually contains both saturated and unsaturated fat. The fat beneath the skin of the animal and between the different subprimals, as they're called, the different cuts of meat, that kind of fat is saturated fat. That's the bad fat. That's where the cholesterol comes from. Now, the fat that runs through the, the muscle, what we call the, the marbling, the intermuscular fat, that fat is actually unsaturated fat, very similar to what you would find in olive oil. Again, as many of you may already know, this is also the fat that brings you the tenderness and the flavor to your cut of meat. So you could actually make a cut of meat healthier by maximizing the amount of marbling, eliminating some of the other less beneficial fat. Some people will tell you that grain-based foods are not particularly healthy. This is not completely untrue in your refined grains, white pasta, white bread, etc. Now, when you're talking about whole grains, whole grains can be a very productive source of fiber, for instance. So you might want to think about things like whole wheat muffins, whole wheat bread, whole wheat pasta, instead of the other things that you, that you might more commonly be eating. And there may be a period of time where you have to kind of bear with it and allow your taste buds to adjust. But if you're able to make that adjustment, you may see beneficial results in your health, not only in terms of weight loss, but other kinds of, of health factors. The rule of thumb there that, that might make it easier for you is to avoid things that are white. You want things that are brown. So the browner a, a wheat-based product is, in general, the healthier it is likely to be. Another thing that relates to the same thing is that carbs are bad. Well, all carbs can't be bad because the simple fact of the matter is carbs are the body's energy. Carbs are what the body converts to sugar 
that allows our body to have the energy it needs to function. So you can't eliminate all carbs. Not a, not a reasonable goal. Now you might want to adjust the percentage of carbs in your diet. Unfortunately, what happens, especially when people are short on money or inflation's high like it is right now, people's common ways to cope with that is they eat less meat and more bread. They eat less meat and more pasta. They eat less meat and more rice. But from a health standpoint, those kind of refined carbs, those kind of simple carbs, are not what we want to have. And that's the basic thing. You have two basic kinds of carbs. You have simple carbs, the kind of things you would find in cookies, candies, your refined products. Most people don't realize how many fast food Hamburger and sandwich buns actually have sugar added to them to make the taste more appealing. So that's something to be aware of. Uh, and you also have complex carbs. Now, complex carbs are things like the natural sugars found in fruits and vegetables uh, or uh, whole grain wheat-based products. So what you want to do is two things. You want to make sure that as much as possible, you maximize the amount of complex carbs in your diet versus the refined, simple carbs type of thing. You also may well want to look at reducing the total amount of carbs in your diet. You may want to look at things like uh, vegetables that are lower in carbs, something more like green beans, peas, asparagus, those kinds of things. Another issue that we see, especially in uh, wheat-based products and baked goods, etc., is the whole gluten-free issue. Some people would have you would argue that gluten-free is always better. Well, gluten goes back to the whole wheat thing. You can't have whole wheat without gluten. So that's what helps it relate back to what we were just talking about. Now, there are certain things like celiac disease where people have a sensitivity to gluten. And those people then certainly reducing or illuminating the amount of gluten in your diet would be a very beneficial thing. And certainly if you have celiac disease or your doctor has told you that you have a gluten sensitivity, uh, you'll want to look at that. But for the vast majority of us, there is no real benefit to eliminating gluten in your diet. And this kind of scenario is the kind of thing where it's beneficial to have a team on your side to help you sort through and, and organize some of the different options as far as your nutrition. Now, that team can certainly include your physician who can run certain blood tests and whatnot and find out for sure what's going on in the chemistry of your specific body. But that can also include people like a diet, registered dietitian or a food co or a nutrition coach, rather. Uh, it could also include, uh, say, a diabetic educator. If diabetes is a concern in your world. Uh, diabetic educators are often uh, specially trained nurses who are not so much nutritionists per se, 
but they are specifically trained to teach a person with prediabetes or diabetes how to structure their diet to maximize the treatment of their condition. So you certainly want to look at the team approach. And that's how you sort through some of the different perspectives on how your nutrition should be. Another thing, a lot of people will say use honey, among other things. I've heard jackfruit mentioned as sweeteners as opposed to sugar. But as we talked about with the World Health Organization report released in the last few days, sugar to a large extent is sugar. Now, refined sugars are not quite as good as unrefined sugars. There is a minimal, at least a minimal little bit of benefit there. But the that should not be the objective. The objective, more properly, should be to limit the amount of sweeteners that are being used in your diet. And now is a good time to talk about I already mentioned the idea of fast food buds with sugar included in them. You're going to have to, to really be effective, you're going to have to get good at reading ingredient labels because there's a lot of fructose, crose, a lot of different kinds of sugars and sweeteners that are added to things. You need to get in the habit of reading labels simply because there's a lot more sugar in a lot more things than you would imagine. I've been a diabetic for probably 18, almost 20 years. And one of the first surprises I had when I was originally diagnosed was the, the, the cough drops I would take when I had sinuses. I happened, just out of curiosity, to look at the, the nutrition label on the cough drops. I about had a heart attack before I had my first heart attack when I read how much sugar was in these cough drops. So... I was getting added sugar in my diet outside of my diet even. So another thing that is a a better tactic than switching to honey and other natural sugars is make sure that you're reducing the total amount of sugar that's going in your mouth. And even when you have doctors and nutritionists and other people helping you, Bottom line, and I hate to say it, is we're all responsible for what goes into our mouth. And as a society, I think we need to get back around to taking more responsibility for what goes into our mouth. Eating less processed foods, looking at labels, exploring. I mean, you have to do a little digging on websites and whatnot, but the nutritional information for most of of uh, fast food restaurants and restaurants in general serve is available online, if, if not anywhere else. We need to make a practice of looking at this information, and practices like that will do you a lot more benefit than worrying about which particular sugar you're using, although that's not a complete myth. There are increasing studies that tell us that You'll find more product, more product, more pro, productive results by looking at eliminating sugar rather than switching from 
one sweetener to another sweetener. Another thing we can look at as far as it goes a lot like with sugar in things, it's something that's more, not so much for diabetics, but people have cardiovascular concerns. People think that because they avoid the salt sugar, that they're, they're doing good. No added sugar at the table, which by the way, is a good thing, especially if you have a family history of heart disease or some other risk factors. I don't want to say it's not a good thing, but it's not as simple as just not ignoring the salt shaker when dinner hits the table. Because if you're waiting till that point, a lot of times it's already too late because there's a lot of foods, especially processed foods like lunch meats, hot dogs, ham. Ham, they're actually looking at changing that rule. But right now, ham, if you, you cannot call ham or other pork products like bacon cured unless salt is used in the process. So if you, particularly if you see a lunch meat, bacon, ham, something like that, that says it's cured. If it says cured in today's world at this particular moment, there is a considerable amount of salt that's been used just in that curing process. Now, there's a lot of other frozen foods and things that also can't. There are certain canned foods. There are certain frozen foods where they have a lot of salt added. And in this case, it's added not as a part of a manufacturing process. It's added as a flavor enhancement. But therein, we get back to the whole reading labels thing, which is, is something that we as the, the general public and as a society need to get into a lot bigger habit of doing. Because just like with hidden sugar, I think if you get into that habit, a lot of people out there would be almost horrifically surprised at how much salt gets added to how much of the stuff we eat in today's world. And so, like I said a while ago, if you, if you secretly concentrate on how much salt is coming out of the salt shaker and how much salt is put on your food or in your food when it gets to the table... You may have already, it may already be too late. You may have already been overboard on, on the salt. Now, that's not as simple as it sounds. A, a lot of us, maybe even most of us, have been conditioned down through our life to equate salt with flavor. And if you start to reduce the salt, then you feel like it doesn't have as much flavor. But depending on your particular circumstances, like I said before, if you're somebody that has, say, cardiovascular concerns in particular, or maybe you're somebody who retains water, which is a sign, can be a sign of excessive salt or excessive sodium intake, it's something that you and your taste buds may have to get used to, uh, at least to a, a certain extent. That's the last myth or misconception that I have for you for today's episode. Certainly, I encourage you to do additional research. Talk to your doctor, your dietitian, and the other members of your healthcare team. Get their input, absolutely, because I'm a food expert, not a health professional, and I'll be the first to admit it. I just want to feed your conversation with the people who are dealing with your specific 
scenario in your specific situation. Now, you also want to do things like get in the habit of reading labels. It would be very productive if you were get habit of not eating so many processed foods, not eating so many things out of cans, not so many frozen foods, and preparing more foods fresh. There's a growing community of people, chefs and others, who are demonstrating that if you do it right and you have the proper knowledge that cooking foods fresh is not not a lot more difficult than eating out of cans and boxes. There's some products out there uh, that makes that easier. Uh, certainly look into those. I ask, I don't know exactly when I'm going to do it yet, but I will be doing a, another episode on food myths or misconceptions, if you like that term better, more tightly focused on actual cooking and what what we've been told works that doesn't really work or maybe it doesn't work at all but everybody believes it because it's been handed down from generation to generation and generation now i don't want to be a, a complete wet blanket when it comes to things like old wives sales because old wives sales got to be old wives tales for a reason a lot of them have a certain point but there's a great many others that don't hold up to scientific scrutiny. And I certainly look forward to sharing more with you about that when we get into more myths and misconceptions and start to focus specifically on those surrounding in cooking. As always, don't forget, anytime you want to access and, and leverage off of our growing library of cooking and other food content, we're always available for you at www.learnmoreeatbetter.com. We certainly look forward to seeing you there. I look for, certainly look forward to seeing you next week and sharing more of exactly that kind of information. I I know, I know it sounds like I'm, I'm leading y'all along, but I've, I've got some seriously exciting content I'm working on coming down the pipeline. So uh, hit that website. And until next time.